Hey everyone, before we get into today's episode, I just want to let you know that our friends at Outdoor Edge have partnered with some great brands to help bring your fall full circle with their field to freezer to fire giveaway. Here's how you enter. Go to their Facebook page and sign up to win some awesome prizes and packages from brands including Yeti, Weston, Bradley Smokers, and more. These are some awesome products that will help you process your game, keep your game in the freezer, and eventually cook it for your table. You have until January 15th to sign up, so take advantage of that. Outdoor Edge in the Field to Freezer to Fire giveaway. Go to their Facebook page and make it happen. And if you decide to purchase any products from the website, enter the discount code NATION30. That's the word NATION with the number 30 after that. No spaces, NATION30, and you will receive 30% off your purchase. This is the Houndsman XP Podcast. Good dog, get that bear. Get that bear in The original podcast for the complete houndsman. The podcast that represents our lifestyle of extreme performance. Get up there! Yeah! 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 Good boy! Good boy, Ranger! Uniting houndsmen across the globe from east to west, north to south. You know, if you're going to catch a cat or a lion, you know, you have to have teamwork. We take you to the wildest places on earth. Yeah, so how many days how many days a week do you spend out there? As much as I can to be honest with you. Anytime that I get, I'm I'm out there. Join us for every heart pounding adventure on Houndsman XP. I'll tell you like I tell everyone else, I'm gonna hunt whether you're here or not, so you might as well be here. Hey Houndsman XP Faithful, I want to talk to you a little bit on this podcast. I'm going to just start it out. I'm going to share a hunt with you I had last night. We'll just call it the homecoming hunt. I try to get up to my uh, ancestral birthplace, uh, where my the bones of my ancestors are buried, and take a hunt at least, at least once a year. Uh, it, it's not that I have to travel that far to tree a raccoon and just like everything else, a lot of times, uh, it's easier just to hunt close to, to my house here. I actually live about two hours from where I was raised now, but the, the reason it is so significant for me to go back there is because that's where I cut my teeth on hounds, uh, with this lifestyle of, of being a houndsman as I, Recently was at 
a Christmas gathering with my family. We broke out some old home movies, and one of those movies had some of my hounds in them from my early days. <clears throat> you know, we're talking 13 years, or when I was 13 years old, so uh, doing some math backwards, that makes it about 38 years ago, and some of those hounds had in their three generation pedigree, they had they were, one was an English hound. Uh, one was a, was a hound that was a direct descendant and showed in his three de- generation pedigree, uh, Boyd's Little Joe, an iconic English hound. I had a, a female walker in that video that showed in the three generation pedigree very up close, Hickory Nut Harry. And I wish I still had the paperwork on her. I was, I'm was i thinking that she was a direct daughter of Hickory Nut Harry. Uh, one of the other hounds that I had, it wasn't in the video, but but one of the hounds that I got to hunt was, was a hound named Rock Creek Charlie Pride. And I know for certain that Rock Creek Charlie Pride was a direct son to Hearn's Red Eagle Dick, owned by Gary Hearn. I'm dating myself, but I am also telling you, you know, I, I'm telling you this story so that you understand how far back my roots go in this houndsman lifestyle and what motivates me to produce a podcast. So on this homecoming hunt last night, uh, I'll just lay it out for you. I'll I'll describe the area that we were hunting. Uh, There's a little place in in Brown County, Indiana, called Stonehead. And it's a stop sign, really. But the reason it was called Stonehead is because for my entire life and for the last 50 years, there has simply been a head, a human head, that somebody carved out of a stone and set on a rock pillar in front of a house. And so it became known as Stonehead. Every local knows that intersection as Stonehead. And about 40 years ago, my family purchased some property just uh, in the close proximity to Stonehead. And we spent every vacation, uh, a lot of vacations, uh, a lot of weekends in that valley there in Brown County. And, and even more significantly is my ancestors on my mother's side all come from Brown County, Indiana. And to give you some idea what Brown County is like, most people know it as Nashville, Indiana. People that are familiar with Nashville uh, uh, understand the traffic problems there in the fall. It's, it's a hub for people that want to come to experience an outdoor lifestyle. Uh, the Hoosier National Forest begins there and runs south all the way down to the Ohio River. Uh, several, several miles encompassing several counties. 
Nashville itself is is a, a destination place for for many many people. It's an an artist colony with restaurants and shops and and uh, home of the Big Woods Brewing Company and Distillery Truth Distillery, and and people flock to Nashville. Most people that are from Brown County dread September and October because State Road 46 runs in there from uh, uh, I-65, and there are several weekends where traffic is backed up from Nashville all the way to I-65, which is, I'm going to spitball it here and say 20 miles of people that simply want to get into Nashville and walk around and look in the window of shops. I don't get that, but that's what makes it special. Brown County is also the home of the Bill Monroe Bluegrass Festival. Bill Monroe, the iconic mandolin player, uh, you know, bluegrass legend, every year in Bean Blossom, Indiana, is the Bill Monroe Bluegrass Festival. And again, a destination place. For what it means to us as houndsmen, Brown County is a place that um, had a lot of beginnings for a lot of legendary hounds or or legendary hounds were influenced either by houndsmen that lived there or they came from there. And to give you an idea of what some of those are, you look at a dog that everybody in recent history should should be pretty familiar with, especially in the competition coon hunting world, would be a dog like Hardwood Henry. Hardwood Henry came from the hills of Brown County. Uh, the Burgesses ended up buying him, and Jeff Rickliffs handled Henry and accomplished amazing things with the hound. But Hardwood Henry came from there. If you're a student of blue tick pedigrees and you study Rambo blood, then the the lineage Rambo II hunted in the hills of Brown County. He even spent uh, a significant amount of time in uh, Brown County. I know Bo Cephas has been there. A dog named Frosty Blue Bobo. Rob Wallen's Rocky Creek Jess. She's a world champion. Rob Wallen lived just north in Morgantown, and I've hunted personally hunted with Rob in Brown County, and with Jess in the hills of Brown County. I've never hunted with this dog, but I but I know that you know the area has this strong of an influence. Rory Cows and Big River Jesse, another world champion coonhound, has hunted the southern parts of Brown County. And conversations that I've had with with uh, Rory at hunts and different things, uh, I know that that he he's hunted that same area. So this is a hotbed. This is a for 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 coonhound activity and and people that are hunting these hounds. Some of what you're hunting and a lot of the legacy that has been built around this this lifestyle and these hounds. Just a little place called Brown County, Indiana. So the reason I wanted to share this story with you and and start this podcast out in this way is our hunt was significant in many ways. I got to share the woods with two people that had never been coon hunting last night. 
I got to hunt with my brother-in-law. But most importantly, I needed to get back to my roots and regroup this week. Brown County, for me, is a place with tall, straight timber. The hills are, are full of hardwoods, hickory, red oak, a lot of white oak, uh, brown leaves. The things that come to my mind are the warmth of a, a wood stove in our family cabin, uh, sitting in a deer stand, fishing in a lake, a small pond, you know, catching bluegill the size of your hand. Sassafras tea, you know, going down to uh, uh, the local store just down the road and uh, having a hot lunch after hunting in the mornings. All the things that made my childhood, the beginning of my journey, it helped develop me and shape me for who I am. And it gave me a perspective of what is important and what is worth preserving what is worth protecting and in part has inspired me to make this podcast to continue to promote this lifestyle that we have this week we have seen freedom under all-out assault. And there is no more freedom to give up. I'm not going to try to make this a, a political podcast or, or try to be the authority on what's going on out there. I'm just a guy that is awake and I observe and I see what freedoms are trying to be taken away from us. Now you may think it's a stretch to say freedoms are being taken away and and now we're going to try to tie this into hound hunting. Well, I think what we are going to see and I believe this, we're seeing it right now is they're going to move very rapidly to take freedom away from us. We're seeing it right now on social media platforms. Mention the T word on a social media platform and see if you don't get a warning. I, I put a post up on social media and somebody commented on it with a repost and then they immediately, a political repost that did not align with their fact checkers. And that person got a warning for simply a repost. We're seeing some of the, the, the largest accounts on social media be suspended by these tech companies. This is cancel culture. And they are going to continue to come after the freedoms that we have. That's why we can't give up an inch. We can't 
back down from what our freedoms are. The, the rights that we are guaranteed in the United States, anyway, are are defined as inalienable rights, meaning they come from God. The reason our founders wrote those, the Constitution, and defined our rights in that manner is so that they could not be taken away from men, taken away by men. Only God can take those away from us. So when we look at what is happening on the big stage, and we think about what freedoms are, are being given up, I don't believe that nations are going to rise and fall on my freedom specifically, to be able to turn a hound loose. But it is a symptom of a, of a bigger problem. It's about the freedom that, that we should be able to enjoy. And freedoms that are worth protecting and preserving and promoting and being able to do that in a way where we're not censored, where we don't have to measure every word that we use, uh, it, where we measure every word to make sure that we are safe. And that's what we are seeing right now unfolding before our eyes. We as a culture have bought into this society that is so heavily dependent upon tech. This podcast is produced on a technical network. Your social media accounts, I, I don't know how many times a day you look at those, but I am embarrassed to admit how much time on a daily basis that I spend on social media. Now, some of that is for uh, this podcast, but I waste hours a day looking through through social media. Wasted. I bet if I boil it down to actual valuable time spent, I could pretty much do everything I needed to do, and I'm talking about uh, a few businesses that that I own and operate. I could probably get that down to 30 minutes a day and then do something that is more significant. But I don't think it's a stretch to have a podcast where we talk about preserving our freedoms. And I'm very honored to have... Alex Christick is going to be joining us on this podcast, and Alex is from Australia. He's a repeat guest, and you're going to hear uh, uh, me edit in our conversation, and we're going to discuss freedom, and we're going to discuss freedom in the hound hunting community and, and what we can probably expect to be coming up against in the very near future. This thing is moving at warp speed, folks. 
it's been strategically put in place for years. Uh, our, our dependency on tech and, and social media and all this stuff uh, is, is coming home to roost right now, and we've all bought into it. And we need to have a plan. Nobody is talking about the plan. Because if you think that they're not coming after your freedom, then you are wrong. And, and this we are going to talk about this in a way that we're going to break down tribalism. We are going to start building a united community. Um, this isn't about the Houndsman XP brand. I honestly and, and sincerely tell you that if you never listen to another podcast after this because I make you mad on, on, or, or you think that I'm trying to, to speak from a political camp, then go find another podcast. And I, I, I would hate to see you go. I really would. But I will sacrifice everything within this brand I will sacrifice everything within my other companies. I will sacrifice personally to ensure that we do not lose freedom. Without freedom, there is no brand. There is no life. There is nothing on the other side of that besides totalitarianism. Besides someone telling me how I have to live my life for no other reason than to fit some warped political agenda. And I am done with it. I'm over it. And the reason I'm using this podcast is because I, I can send you to other podcasts that can, can take you on much better journeys on um, uh, introducing you to what the path forward is on a national scale. Okay. But every one of those podcast creators, every one of those people that are having their, their social media platforms suspended or canceled and silenced right now are asking for help. And, and we're going to use this podcast to support that effort. And we are going to directly tie in how attacks on freedom at the bigger stage are going to come home and affect us in the things that we so dearly love that are a lot closer to home. I would dare say that if you're listening to this podcast, that your hounds are a huge part of you. They help define you as a person. That is worth preserving. You've raised your families around these hounds. You've made friendships around these hounds. You've built memories and life experiences around these hounds. They have helped shape you, shape you as a person. And I am going to do everything that I can to make sure that those freedoms are preserved. It would be much easier for us to be completely apolitical on this thing. You know, just not take the safe route. You know, let's talk about a, a, a hunt this week or, or like nothing's going on. Well, there's a lot going on. And we need to be a, a, awake for that. We need to see it for what it is 
and stand against it. We're going to build a community with Houndsman XP that breaks down tribalism. You need to be listening to other podcasts. I'm going to promote other podcasts. Every one of us does something different. Every hound hunting podcast does something a little bit different. And you need to be listening to everyone. This show is only an hour to an hour and a half a week. I can't dominate your time. This is a small market. But but you need to be listening to other podcasts as well. Listen to the Nightlife Nation podcast. They do an excellent job. They've got excellent storytellers. Steve Fielder is an icon in in this this sport, this this hound lifestyle that we all share. Brent Reeves does an outstanding job. He's got a great sense of humor. He's a great host. Nick Gilliland is genuinely a nice guy. I mean, he has dedicated his own resources to develop a YouTube channel from what I really believe is an effort to help other houndsmen with his Q&A sessions and different things like that. So listen to that. Don't be tribalistic. You need to listen to W's podcast. They're capturing some historical houndsmen. Brett Vaughn is capturing some awesome stuff for them. And and you need to be listening to that. Clay Newcomb produces a great podcast. It's not solely or even focused on hound hunting, but Clay is a houndsman, and he does have episodes that talk about hound hunting. Search those out. Everybody has a different message, and they're all important to building a unified community. And when you build unity of like-minded people like we are, then we can stand. We can stand strong. We can be prepared for the future. Like I said, Alex Christick is going to be joining us shortly on this podcast. And Alex is a repeat guest on the Houndsman XP podcast. That episode is episode 76, Hounds Unlimited. Alex was a great guest. All the credit goes to Seth for um, uh, snagging Alex and, and bringing him into the Houndsman XP podcast and capturing his story. But um, you're going you're gonna to really enjoy Alex. He is extremely articulate, and he has been very active in uh, his work in Australia to preserve the freedoms to free cast hounds there. And I just couldn't think of a better guest that could give us some perspective of how important this freedom is. And what we do right here is going to affect freedom on the world stage. And Alex is going to bring a perspective that shows us what they've already been through, what they're battling in Australia, and it's going to hopefully open some eyes that we have got to start organizing and be prepared now. We have no idea what's coming. I don't have any idea. I don't have a crystal ball, but I'm not going to be fearful, and I'm not going to sit back and do nothing and hope that it goes away. I'm not going to bury my head in the sand. I'm going to be prepared, and I'm going to help us all be prepared with a solid message and create 
uh, community of houndsmen and hunters that can effectively preserve the freedoms that we enjoy. So you're going to hear this uh, section of the podcast. We're going to have a little break here, and then you're going to get me editing in the uh, recorded segment. So here we go. Well, Alex, uh, I, I appreciate you coming on the podcast again and, and uh, being from across the big pond there over in Australia. Uh, I was really impressed with your interview that you were with us on on episode 76. But uh, I'm just curious, are you guys paying attention or, or are you guys paying, is it even worth paying attention to what's going on in the United States right now with in the last week? Well, look, uh, Chris, uh, we, we or when I say we, I'm talking about houndsmen and, and men or men and women that hunt with dogs in Australia are very much paying attention to what happens in the US. Um, and that and that's pretty well by, you know, using all the relevant social media platforms and listening to podcasts and in particular podcasts like... Uh, Houndsman XP, because we've identified, well, I suppose, some time ago that uh, that ha- hunting with hounds, in particular, in this country, which has been a tradition for well over 150 years, um, is under direct threat. And mm-hmm. every every so often, you know, every two or three years, they'll have a crack at us. Yeah. And um, it runs and, in cycles. Uh, and and yeah, exactly. And uh, and we'll do our usual thing. We'll We'll use the old Australian "she'll be right, mate" attitude, and uh, so geez, we got away with it that time. Uh, let's let's just do what we do and hope. Hopefully, they won't have another crack at us. We've been apathy and I suppose complacency are the biggest enemies that we have for our way of life as mm-hmm. far as hunting with hounds is concerned. Because it's it's not a sport here. Um, it's it is a way of life. You know, right? If, if you're a houndsman, it's it's 365 days a year, every year, where you've got you've got a connection to your hounds. You're working with your hounds. You're feeding your hounds. You're vetting your hounds. You're exercising them. You know, even in the off seasons, which it is here at the moment. So, you know, the the, the threats that are the threats that are uh, that we're that we're getting here, uh, in many cases, mirror exactly what's going on in the U.S. And that's 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 exactly what I wanted to talk to you about. You know, this past week in the United States, uh, I'm just curious if the rest of the world is. I want to get the outside perspective of. Are you guys watching? Do you feel like that freedoms are being, uh, you know, taken away here in the United States, or, or how much how much time does Australia spend how big of a news story is it in Australia of what's happening in the United States right now that's that's where I want to start I guess well it's it, it what's happening in the US right now is front page news and has been for a week at least um, you know you, you would have to be living under a rock somewhere in the mountains not to not to have in some way been affected by what's going on with uh, politics currently in the US mm-hmm. especially you know in light of the um, the you know the deaths that happened that happened at your Congress and uh, the the confrontation that's occurred there, uh, the the 
turmoil, obviously, that's occurring between the current president and uh, and you know, people within his political party and elsewhere. Right. It is. Uh, it is. It is definitely a matter for concern. I think any thinking person um, would regard this as being something that's uh, probably unprecedented in in the history of both of our countries. I agree. And and you know you brought up a you brought up a word there, and that's apathy. And uh, the the goal of this this episode of the podcast is is to. Um, show how the erosions of freedom, when you start taking freedoms away, how that is a trickle down. And, and, um, like I said, off air to you, you know, uh, nations aren't going to fall because we can't turn our dogs loose, but it's a symptom of a problem. And sooner or later, the cancel culture is going to get to us. And, and, um, have you seen that? Have you have you been watching well, all, that on social media and stuff? Yeah, look, it already has to some degree. I, I, I look back, I've been hunting with hounds and dogs pretty well for my entire adult life, and I've, I've been around for a long time, so that's well in excess of 40 years. Right. And I can, I can remember clearly uh, the things that we used to be able to do. Yeah, that's. A, I want to know what you yeah. were able to do and what you're not able to do now. I, exactly, and... Yeah, the 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 overregulation or the very onerous regulatory burden that's put on hunters these days, um, and it's not driven by good science. We're talking about stuff that's driven strictly and wholly and solely politically, and by animal welfare zealots mm-hmm. or animal. It's not so much animal welfare. I, sorry, forgive me for saying that. It's it's animal rights zealots, people who um, who are there to uh, give animals the same rights as humans, be that yes. wrong, be it wrong. Um, I was brought up to believe that uh, us, we as humans, are here to to look after the animals. We're not, we don't hold the same status as animals, and uh, we as hunters are all animal lovers, in particular guys that that you know use dogs and hounds to hunt with. And we're we're looking at legislation that's actually just come in, or it's about to be introduced into Parliament now, where they're recognising animal sentience um, as a major issue. And uh, even to the stage where they're actually identifying fish as being sentient beings and that they need to be treated in a certain way. And that the, the whole, the whole um, system as far as what species we can hunt, what hunting techniques we can use... What breeds of hound we can use? So, so you're uh, talking you're talking about a study or a, a legislation about whether or not fish feel trauma. This is a bill. This is a yeah. bill going before Parliament. This is a this is a proposed piece of law that is going to to identify, and and it's, they've made it crystal clear that um, they're looking at all animals as being sentient beings, including fish. Now. You know, I'm tied up in the pest control industry. You know, and uh, a lot of a lot of the things that we've used uh, over the years have been restricted significantly. Not just um, not just poisons and things, but also trapping systems, snaring systems, um, glue boards, all of that sort of stuff. These things, you know, I, I need to have a, a parliamentary or, or a ministerial approval to use leg hold traps 
These are soft catch leg hole traps to trap fox and wild feral dogs where I work. This this is stuff at ministerial level, which would be similar to say um, fe- you know, some very senior federal senior level. in your state government. Okay, yeah, giving me authority to be able to use a trap to trap a fox. You know, these this is un, unprecedented. Um, in the past, they they identified this is I, I suppose the left side of politics without putting too fine a point on it. it Twenty years ago, they, they, they decided. They de- Sorry about that. They decided that they would um, try to ban hunting with hounds, and they, there was a fair bit of pushback coming from us. And they said, "Okay, we won't we won't ban hunting with hounds. This is we hunt sander deer, which are large animals, right? They're right. about the size of an elk. Uh, we'll we'll allow you to hunt with hounds, but we're we're going to remove the hounds that you normally hunt with, which are." foxhound walker type dogs um, and you're only allowed to use beagles and bloodhounds now you know how, how ridiculous is that and we're talking <laughs> about hunts that are that would be probably not dissimilar to your black bear hunts in the u.s you right. know where you, you cover a lot of country heavy in heavy bush hard cover um, to chase these animals and imagine using beagles to do this thing to swim across rivers and to to you know, to go through snow to to hunt these deer, mm-hmm. and that was their attempt at managing hunters. And and to this day, uh, we 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 fought fairly hard, and we got harriers back, which are a small type foxhound, to as a as a bit of a um, I suppose uh, a consolation prize. Yeah. The best hounds for the job. The best hounds for the job aren't lawfully allowed to be used in this state or in Victoria to hunt samba deer and we're, we're constantly battling away to try to get all of the the, the good scent hounds uh, or the ones that are available internationally mm-hmm. uh, to use for what we do and you know look most of the dogs that I use are all sourced from the US and you know they're all real you know I've, I've got blue tick coon hounds I've got walkers um, I've, I've got a a couple of nice black and tans, yeah. But uh, none of those dogs are legal to use on samba deer. We can hunt other species with them, mm-hmm. but not samba deer. And this is a, this is something that's been taken away from us by um, powerful bureaucrats uh, with uh, political agendas, wholly and solely. So did so we did you talk get about losing rights? You know, they, they, these people are extremely powerful, and uh, they they know how to they know how to do business, you know. And they're supported by the animal rights people who have got millions of dollars at their disposal, as opposed to, you know, small groups or small organizations that we have here in Victoria. Uh, you know, which are lucky to scrape a few grand together, you know, through raffles and through membership. Mm-hmm. When you look, they're going up against PETA, they're going up against the RSPCA, they're going up against Animals Australia. You know, these people are extremely well organised, extremely well funded, and they have got political connections. They know how to lobby, they know who to to lobby to, and they know what our weaknesses are. They know that we're divided, and they know that we're apathetic, and it's really... Yeah, you've got to be realistic. It's only a matter of time before they roll us. That's um, you still there? 
I'm I'm still with you. I'm just uh, taking it all in. So so, tell me what tell me what you guys when you hunted forty years ago, what did your restrictions look like? I mean, what kind of regulations did you have? What were you allowed to do then that you're not allowed to do now? Well, we were allowed to use scent hounds to hunt uh, samba deer, sambar, S-A-M-B-A-R, deer, uh, in state forest throughout the state of Victoria using scent hounds. Mm -hmm. It didn't really matter what type of scent out it was, provided it was a scent trailing hound. You weren't allowed to use dogs that would run and catch the deer, like, you know, any of the sight hound breeds. Uh, We were allowed to use semi-automatic centre-fire rifles, you know, Remington Woods Masters and Browning BARs. They've been banned in yeah. in recent, when I say recent times, to me it's recent, I think it was in 1996, as there is, the government banned semi-autos as a result of um, one one lunatic, um, you know, shooting people in a, in a place down in Tasmania and they changed the law there. They had a big gun buyback. All the semi-automatics pretty well uh, were forfeited. So now we're left with using... You know, bolt action rifles, pump action rifles. They're no less deadly than a semi auto. It's just that uh, they're a little bit more agricultural, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and so so what you know, were they what was what was Australia trying to accomplish? what was some of the what was some of the conversation that, that uh, transpired uh, around it, that? It was it was it was an absolute it was an absolute whitewash you talk about taking people's rights away you know they they made a an arbitrary decision to buy back every single semi-automatic rifle this is everything from a 22 right through to a right through to a 300 wind mag semi-auto um shotgun anything that's semi-automatic is it was banned and then they made a few exceptions to a few Rules like uh, the military could have them, obviously the police, um, landholders. Certain landholders were allowed to to go back to using semi-automatic uh, shotguns, mm-hmm. but to possess a semi-automatic centerfire rifle, something like an AR-15 or a um, you know AK-47 or a you know a, a Valmet Hunter or, or HK-770, any of those type of weapons, you need to have. A special license. I'm, I'm fortunate fortunate enough to have those, but I can only use those weapons in connection with my work as a professional hunter. Mm-hmm. If, I, if I need to go to hunt deer recreationally with my hounds, I can only use a pump action rifle because that's what the rules are. These are the onerous legislations that these people bring through. Um, you know, and I, I sometimes scratch my head thinking, you know, how much more dangerous is a guy with a a bolt action rifle and a guy with a semi-automatic rifle. You know, uh, it's it's very much a subjective test that you need to apply. So did I can't, did your government you know, did your government try to pass that through on uh, what we're seeing? What, what we're seeing here is is basically fear tactics, and you know, just like the uh, breach on the U.S. Capitol, now they're trying to censor social media platforms saying that that they ins- didn't take a hard enough stand on on uh, against violence and so they're trying to use scare tactics and and get buy-in from their supporters 
on a fabricated narrative. The same, the same, exactly the same happens here. Usually in situations like this, in particular here in Australia, the truth is usually the first victim, and um, <laughs> you you get a oh. you get you get some skewed <laughs> some skewed excuse. Like we, we recently had, obviously, as everybody else has problems with COVID, and uh, one of our senior bureaucrats here stuffed things up in a fairly major way where. Um, because of their in, ineptitude, uh, COVID had got out of a particular quarantine area and went on to kill about 800 people. Mm. Um, when they quizzed the government uh, officials, for want of a better term, and others as to wh whose fault it was, uh, they did the old, who me? No, no, it wasn't me. I can't remember any of that. Right. So nobody was ex nobody put their hand up to accept responsibility. They ran an investigation, a sham a sham investigation run by a retired judge, that came up with um, a zero response. They couldn't tell us who was the person responsible for killing 800 Victorians because of their ineptitude. Now it, it, that's that's a classic situation of the system killing its or destroying itself just uh, through, you know, using spin doctors and spin and, uh, you know, banning, uh, I suppose, restricting the terms of reference for investigations and stuff like that. You know, we're, we're, we're no different to you in the US. We, we suffer the same, the same political um, hand is quicker than the eye stuff that, that you guys do. Don't worry. Well, that's, that's exactly why, you know, I, I wanted to talk to you about it. Alex is because I think there is something for us to learn from people who have already fought. You guys have already got the experience. So, um, and you've already fought some of the battles that I think are coming down the pipe. And I think it's going to be rapid. I think it's going to be a lot more rapid than what people think. Um, we're seeing things moving at warp speed over here. Some of the, uh, I just can't even believe it when I when I open up headlines and and look at news articles. Some of the things that our government is targeting right now, uh, I would have never dreamed that, you know. And and I think it's going to move rapidly through our culture to the very. It's going to hit close to home a lot quicker than what any of us realize, and. It's. I don't want. To, I don't want anybody to be scared. I don't want anybody to be fearful. I don't think it, that's the time for it. But I think if we are don't prepare ourselves, then we are going to be overwhelmed very quickly. Well, Chris, Chris it's it's already happening. Um, the, the, you know, it, it, it's already happening here in Australia. Um, and, and I'd, I'd venture to say that it's probably already happened. It, it's already happened in the US. I, I'm aware of a number of states in the US where hound hunting was banned, uh, or hunting certain game species with hounds was banned, uh, not all that long ago. And, uh, you know, the same thing happened here. So it's pretty well tit for tat. It happens on, at both ends. You know, you know, on both shores of the Atlantic. You know, um, yeah. That, as I said earlier, the the people that are, that are seeking to um, 
to influence what we're doing um, are much better organised than we are. And we, we haven't, we as hunters and as houndsmen, haven't really learnt much from history. We, we tend to forget things that have hurt us in the past. And uh, we, we tend to be, as, as I keep bringing up this word, we tend to be apathetic uh, and thinking, oh, no, look, this won't happen, not in our lifetime. I'll still do whatever, I, whatever it is that I want to do. It doesn't work that way. Uh, we're, we're losing little liberties every single time a new law is passed, every time a regulation is passed, every time a gate to a public access hunting area is locked for whatever reason. That's another technique they use here. They say, oh, no, we're, we're going we're to close this piece of country off because uh, of concerns we have with erosion or uh, the right. track's not in good condition and all that sort of stuff, which, or we're going to run a poisoning program. We're, we're, we're going we're, we're to be poisoning uh, foxes that are killing long-footed potteroos mm -hmm. in, uh, in this area. And they say, you, you guys are welcome to go hunting, but just be aware that there is... Um, hundreds and hundreds of 1080 baits being laid in the area and they may they may affect your hounds yeah they know full well, yeah. they know full well that um that we, we won't hunt an area where there's 1080 baits you know but still bu the bureaucrats the government and the, they're all singing from the same hymn book are the ones that are that are manipulating what we do i've got a couple questions i want to circle back around to something you said um a lot of times you will see the reaction, um, and this is just bravado, and I'm sure some people mean it, but based on, on what you have seen in Australia, for the guy that sits back and says, if they outlaw it, I'm going to do it anyway, and uh, I'll pay the consequences. What kind of, what kind of impact has that had? in Australia and have there been people that tried it and what's your experience with that? Well, that, that is, that's the attitude you hear all these hairy chested redneck boys saying, yeah, yeah, we'll just do it and uh, we'll hope for the best. Well, I can guarantee you there's very, very few of them that back up what they're going to say. And when, if they go and do it anyway, they, they become a targeted or a, the, the target of, of police operations, of game management authority operations, and they find themselves in court, you know, losing vehicles, uh, being fined tens of thousands of dollars, uh, losing their rights to possess firearms uh, because of that hairy-chested attitude. It just doesn't work. Right. You know, you're kidding. You're kidding yourself. It you sounds think, romantic. You you're going to get away with it. You're kidding yourself. Yeah, it sounds romantic, and you want to be that, you know, that William Wallace that stands out there and cries for freedom, but when it comes time to pay in the piper, then then that can be a whole different game. You know, I mean, um, in our case, you can spend time in a federal penitentiary, you know, and, and spend a lot of time there for for violating things on the endangered species act um and and i don't put it past the the animal rights people to try to get federal federal uh charges on violation of some of this stuff so 
Yeah, I, I wanted to get your in, uh, your your take on that. The other question I had was, if you could roll back time, if you could go back forty years ago, and change the way your hound hunting community in Australia did things, are, are there things there that that you feel like you could have done to preserve your lifestyle as a houndsman? Look, there's. The good thing about hindsight, it's always 2020. You know, it's always crystal clear. And if you had an opportunity to go back and and fix a few things that have been negative, I'm sure that we'd be in a better position than we are now. But I would um, look. There's a there's a lot of things that we could do, could, or we could have done. The, one of the one of the biggest issues that we've had is is petty jealousies between houndsmen and and hunting groups and um, you know, demarcation issues about areas they hunt and all that sort of stuff. I'm sure you get the same in the U.S. Now, are you talking uh, about? Are you talking about like between uh, uh, houndsmen and say spot and stalk or still hunters? Or are you talking both, is, both? Okay, a whole lot. Uh, uh, hound hunting is looked at by some as being an unfair advantage or taking an unfair advantage um, when hunting. Uh, it's looked at by others as being um, you know, uh, just something that that's practiced by those with red necks and uh, hotted up V8 trucks, <laughs> and uh, right. the, the people that cause that are out there to to cause problems and upset the the other bush users. Um, we, we, in many cases, we've been our own worst enemies. There's been competition between the various types of hunting. There's been competition between the various hound teams, or you know groups of hound hunters uh, and it's all been based on bullshit there's you know if you actually if they actually sat down and nutted out what was actually going on and tried to get to the truth you would find that they would have a hell of a lot more common ground than they than they think and that once they actually understood what was going on in in, in everybody's camp you'd find that we'd get on a hell of a lot better and we'd be a, a hell of a lot more organised as as hunters and as houndsmen to uh, to counter some of this stuff that's going on politically that's, that's threatening us. Uh, look, even the hunting organisations, there's, you know, there's, there's sort of competition between some and there's some some get on with each other, others don't. Um, there's, there's, there's character clashes, there's personality clashes. Mm-hmm. There's all sorts of things that go on that all serve to destabilise us. We, the authorities, like the you know the bureaucrats and the the, the politicians, know that we we're not united and we we haven't got our act together. So we're as I said earlier, we're an easy target. And if there's something I could change in the past, I suppose the main thing would be is to set up a an effective communication system between all hunters where all the, the, the inaccuracies, the untruths were, were addressed and that the, everybody knew exactly what everybody else was doing with regards to the techniques and the tactics that they adopted and that there was some good understanding based on the truth, based on, based on, based on truthful communication. That would go a long way towards helping us. Um, you know the the duck hunters, the the quail hunters. Most most houndsmen are also duck shooters and 
they hunt quail, they they go fishing, right. um, and they're still they're still at odds with with each other. A lot of these organisations are still at odds with each other. Instead of working and pulling in the same direction, they still they pay a lot of lip service to working together. But when it when push comes to shove, sometimes they're not probably as um, uh, they're not as keen to to actually pull in the same direction. That hidden agendas or personal agendas are the biggest problems that we have, I think. Yeah, everybody's always too quick to sacrifice what somebody else has. You know, I'll, exactly. I'll, I'll let them have this and then maybe I will be protected without the understanding that if we don't stand it, it's all going to go, it's all on the table. It's all on the chopping block. So we've talked about it. These anti-hunting organizations are very well organized and they know that. So they're more than happy to be very systematic in what they eliminate. And, and so if, if this is the weak link, we'll take this, but, but to think that I'm safe if I give them this is just an asinine point of view. I mean, there, it, it doesn't work like that. And it doesn't, it doesn't. And, and I was fortunate recently, this is kind of a neat thing. I, I took a dad and his son who are big deer hunters and, um, I hunt on their property and they said, Hey, we'd like to go with you. And so I took advantage of that. They had no understanding of anything, uh, to do with hound hunting. They'd never had any exposure to it. Maybe they'd had some, you know, he'd had some beagles in the past, but he didn't, he didn't understand, you know, night hunting with hounds and things like that. And, and by the time that was over, it was a, it was a good experience. And I felt Normally, the the guy that's so this is a, a serious deer hunter. I mean, manages his property, runs cameras. Um, this guy lives, he eats and dies by by deer hunting. And and normally those guys aren't the most cordial about hound hunting. But uh, he invited me to come to his property and hunt. We had a great time, and I had as much takeaway from that and understanding that man, there is a way to bridge the gap here. So, Of course there is. Of course there is. So I, 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 look, at, I look at what you guys have, have done in Australia as an opportunity for us to learn and prepare. And we've already had some, we've already had many losses. Our, our friends in California would say, yeah, now the, now the rest of the country is going to see what, what we've already been through. And I don't think they're satisfied, and I don't think they're saying that from from a vindictive standpoint. But um, Australia Australia has already fought a lot of these battles, and I think you've got some valuable information for us of of how we can be on point for some of it. Look, we've got a lot to learn. We've we've got a lot to learn um, still. Don't worry. We're We've been through we've been through the mill, but there's a lot of things that we haven't we haven't learned our lessons well, and we you know I'm talking as a group we there's a lot of things that we can do a hell of a lot better, and it's and through you know through people like yourself and and others that are that are keen houndsmen and and regard it very much as a way of life, uh, you know things that you guys are actually doing like. 
Are you familiar with the Virginia Hunting Dog Alliance and all those people? Am I familiar with it? Yeah. Yes. Um, you know, we look at a lot of the stuff that those people are doing, and uh, they seem they seem to be doing a lot of good work uh, in in spreading the word as far as hound hunting is concerned, and also um, doing a lot of lobbying type of work. I'm not I'm not okay fully with everything that they do, but from what I've seen, it seems to be um, they're definitely on the right track. And that we can learn a lot from them, you know. With their, yeah, the codes of practice, the codes of conduct, uh, the way in which they um, they address um, upcoming legislation, people keeping an eye on uh, on laws that are being changed or bills that are put up uh, for part for uh, to become law. Um, these are the sort of things that we need to do. We need to have uh, lobbyists. Uh, we need to have there's a, there's a lot of clever people in the hunting fraternity. We need to try to bring them to the fore, and we need to try to get them to um, get them to assist, to use their skills. Sadly, here uh, I don't know if the US is the same. Most of the organisations are run by people who turn up to meetings, and sometimes they're not the best people to run organisations. And uh, you've got to be truthful about that. Right. You need to re- you need to recruit smart agile polished people that are in touch with how to get things done and how to do things right um, if we don't do that we're at a distinct disadvantage well you certainly can't turn away those people that are willing to show up at the meetings and and no not at all not at all please don't misunderstand what i'm saying is you know, we should embrace those people and encourage them to come to the meetings but we need to also identify skill sets uh, that are required in order to give us the best opportunity to keep what we've got and to try to scrape back a bit of ground. Um, those people, we, we need to identify them. We need to find them, and we need to, if you know, we need to pay for it. But, but we we do need to have at least. Um, some sort of professional representation in order to to defend what we're on about. Uh, amateurs uh, are fine to having clubs and they, they can support clubs and do fantastic things with the clubs, but you also need to have some hard-bitten professionals that can get stuff done in order to maintain uh, what we've got. Yeah. And it seems like, it seems like um, those people that you talk about, and we'll just talk about the, the professionals within the hound hunting community, they've got the least amount of time. There's a reason why they're successful. There's a reason why they're successful in business. There's a reason why they're successful with their hounds. They're disciplined people. And at some point, we've got to recruit them and make them aware of the fact that they they have got something valuable to offer and convince them to help dedicate their time you take like uh, wisconsin bear hunters association for instance uh we just had a podcast with carl chattel carl's a professional professional man he understands business he understands he's not your typical houndsman and and we need to search those people out within our our respective areas and convince them and if we've got to beg them to get involved so that we can have that sort of 
insight into how to get things done. Even if it's just for a mentoring role, it, we, 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 you know, the, the, the people that, that are successful are people that are, that are disciplined and that, are, that have learned from experience, that have made it their business to learn stuff and, and develop a skill set. Um, even if people like that could offer, offer some sort of mentoring role and offer advice uh, to the people that are actually doing the work in order to, you know, to facilitate, to facilitate sure. a, uh, a way forward. You know, they, you don't, they don't have to do everything for everyone, but, you know, the people that can chip in bits and pieces here and there that, um, that can assist us in the long run. Agreed. So, so what do you see? What do you see the future of hound hunting? What's from the outside looking in, and knowing what's happening in the United States right now? What do you? What's your? If you had a crystal ball and you could look into it and you could say, "This is what I think is going to happen to uh, the hunting community in the United States." If they continue down this path, what do you see happening there, Alex? Well, my 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 heart my heart tells me that hunt, hound hunting will be around for a long, long time, but my head tells me that um, it is under a significant threat, and that we are living on borrowed time. It is only a matter of time before um, yeah we as hound hunters get overwhelmed by the people that are, that are seeking to sink us. I'm speaking here in Australia. Mm -hmm. um, I, I can't see it being much different in the US. Look look, look at the UK, you know, and look what they've done with uh, what's happened with hound hunting over there, you know. Right. Um, things have changed significantly in the last, you know, 10 years there, where it's, it's unlawful to, uh, you know, to pursue animals with hounds. Right. Uh, you know, it, it, to think that we're we here in Australia or you guys over in the US are immune from this uh, growing anti-hunting sentiment, uh, you've got to be kidding yourself. And the first the first ones that are going to go under the bus are the hound hunters. I can guarantee you that, right? Because we're the we're the easiest ones to identify. Uh, what and then identify or why do you think the houndsmen are such low-hanging fruit? Well, look, the, the, the thing is, for instance, if you drive down a highway here on a Friday night during the winter and you'll see a heap of, uh, we call them utes, but they're a, they're a pickup truck with a big old dog box on the back of them. Mm -hmm. The ones that get intercepted by the police at roadblocks are usually those because they're easy to see, they're easy to identify, and uh, the, the cops will pull them up and, uh, and quiz them and see if they've got the right permits and the right licences, whether they've been drinking, whether they've been on drugs. And it happens with with regular monotony. And when you're in the bush hunting with your hounds, uh, by virtue of the fact that you're actually in there, that the hounds are in there and they're, they're being free cast and they're, they're balling after a deer, chasing it through the bush, it's fairly hard to hide. It's pretty obvious. All right. <laughs> um, and you're easy, you're easy to see, you know. Everybody, well, a lot of people in, in Australia these days have... Uh, ATVs or four-wheel drive vehicles or whatever you guys call them over there. Um, and there's more and more people in the forests and in the bushes every year. Yes, it's happening that, here that too. Are not, that are not hunters. And they interact with hound hunters regularly. Thankfully, 
on most occasions those interactions are positive, but on some occasion they're not. And these are the sort of things that, uh, you know, you, you could do a thousand good things, but one bad thing pretty well cancels it all out, you know. Right. And, it's always amplified. Of course it is. And, and the, the media aren't our friends, you know. Uh, they, the, 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 the media generally uh, uh, tend to be fairly negative when it comes to hunting animals, you know, using the, you know, Elmer Fudd type arrangement, you know, there's a guy running around with a gun, right. blasting Bambi or shooting Daffy Duck out of the sky, you know. We've, These are the sort we've of given you all kinds of, of we've given you all kinds of metaphors from the United States, haven't we? Well, look, if, if <laughs> I tell you what, I blame Walt Disney for getting that mouse to talk. As soon as he got him talking, that was, that, what do they call it? Anthropomorphization. Right. <laughs> People humanizing animals. Yes. And that certainly hasn't helped us. But getting back to the serious part of things is hound hunters, by virtue of how they do things, by virtue of the fact that they're proud and they're loud, and that uh, you know the movement and colour and noise that's involved with hound hunters uh, attracts a lot of attention to us. Mm-hmm. And we need to be we need to be aware of that, and we need to be acutely aware of it. And uh, you know, social media is not our friend either. You know, some of these people that put up footage of uh, things that they ought not uh, show on social media, like, you know, video footage and various photographs of, of things that they shouldn't that they shouldn't put up, doesn't help the cause much. You know, and uh, well, how do we? How do we? How do we? Hiding isn't is never been effective. You know, you're talking about living on borrowed time. So, so how do we continue to put forth a positive message and preserve our lifestyle? How do how 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 would you suggest that happen? I think I think I think leadership, and I use the term leadership in a in a way where, where there are lots of formal and informal leaders in in the hound community. And you, as an ex-law enforcement officer, know that it's it's a hell of a lot easier to get things done um, by uh, getting people to voluntarily comply with things than having to enforce your way into catching bad guys doing the wrong thing. Right. So good leadership by everybody that that does go hound hunting, uh, you know, people that that run their hound crews manage the crew properly and make sure that everybody's towing the line and doing the right thing. Uh, the young guys that are out there learning the game, you know, th- they need to identify what's right and what's wrong and, and they need to comply with the rules. Uh, everybody has a role to play. And if we can demonstrate that we're, that, that we're being proactive, if we can demonstrate that we're doing the right thing for the sake of doing the right thing, for the sake of, of preserving and protecting what we have, um, we'll go a long way towards... Uh, maintaining what we have but it, it 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 requires people to to show initiative to show leadership to say you know bad behavior is not it's not helping any of us right you know? and it's the quickest way to 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 get us thrown out the back door than anything else um it's it's hunter behavior it's people making complaints about guys that are doing the wrong thing and i'm not saying for one minute that 
that the majority of hand hunters do. The majority of hand hunters do the right thing. It's just a small number of people that uh, that seem to be consistently causing issues that uh, that are hurting us. You know, one of the th- one of the things that get them into prey would be right. Yeah, one of the things that is always perplexed me in in my business. You, you looked. You look at other sporting groups as a whole. You know, I was in fish and wildlife enforcement, so I've I've been on the side that was deemed the enemy or whatever. You know, characterized as the bad guy to to hunters, um, rightfully or wrongfully so. But but at any rate, my observations in my career were. Say you have a river and you've got guys that are duck hunting on the river and you've got one group of guys, there's six groups out there and there's one group of guys that is breaking all the rules. You know, they are, they are baiting ducks or sky blasting, they're shooting over their limit, they're stuffing ducks in the mud, doing whatever they're, and those other groups will police their own ranks they will absolutely call those people out and say, you don't represent me. Deer hunters, deer hunters, elk hunters, bighorn sheep hunters, all these other groups will sit there and say, I am not going to let you misrepresent what my lifestyle is all about. And, and I think that as houndsmen, from what I'm hearing you say, the first order of business is for us to get our own house in order. Exactly, um, and that—that's what I was. Well, when I made reference to leadership, it, it is you know people that are that are that are in. You don't have to be in a in a in a formal position of leadership, but if you can apply a suitable, a judiciously um, measured out uh, peer group pressure to people who aren't doing the right thing, sometimes it's the best way to get things sorted out. You know, and uh, I think yes. that. Unless we do that, um, we're we're in for it. You, we can't burying your head in the sand and playing secret squirrels never worked. Never, never. It's never worked in the past, and it, and it's not likely to work in the future. Right. It, we need we need to be proactive, and we need to we need to be proud about what we do, and we need to be uh, positive about what we do, and we need to spread the word. You know, if. Uh, if we don't spread the word and we try to keep it all underground, we're not doing ourselves any favors. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. I look at it as stewardship. You know, I have been i I have been afforded the opportunity to uh, the freedom to do the things that I want to do, and so I need to be able to take care of that. And I owe it to myself. I owe it to my fellow houndsmen. I and and we need to get an understanding that um, this is a gift and and it's something that can't be taken lightly and we need to do everything in our power to protect it and deer hunters deer hunters are a good example for an easy understandable example for people in the United States to understand but if a deer hunter goes out and shoots a deer at night under a light and then takes his picture with it on Facebook and tries to pass it off as a legal kill. 
and come to find out that he broke the law, they will publicly shame that guy to the point that he won't have a career. I mean, there's perfect examples of outdoor uh, TV hosts and stuff that had outdoor hunting shows that were caught up in some of that, and their career was over. So it should be. Yeah, I, 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 I'm just, I'm just walking through some things here, and and like you said, most houndsmen I know, this is not a a, a rampant deal, but but we've we've got to break the culture that if if we don't if we don't want to see that we can't let the bad actors define who we are. I guess that's the best way I can put it. We can't let the bad actors define who we are. Exactly. Look, exactly. And look, none of us are without sin, you know. We've, you know, as young guys, you know, sometimes, you know, you, you bend the rule here and there, you know, and we, we don't want to be wandering around telling everybody how holier than thou we are. No. But it's, at the same time, we you look back and you look at the mistakes that you've made in the past as a young guy and you say, well, I've learned from that. That didn't work very well. I'm not going to do it, you know. <laughs> and and make a make a conscious right. decision to to be ethical and do the right thing for the sake of doing the right thing, um, without belting people over the head with it. It's, right. It, it's just you know we, a lot of a lot of things are solved around a, a hound hunt a hound hunter's fire on a Friday night. You know, typically we'll go out of a Friday night or a Friday we'll find go to our spot where we meet. There'll be a fire and there'll be you know, a few guys hanging around will tie the, the hounds out on their, their long chain and then the conversations start. That's probably the best place for the information and the, and the I suppose, the, the doctrines to, to flow yeah. around those fires. Because that, that's, where, that's where it all happens, around the yes. fires. Yep, you're exactly if, right. You're exactly if right. The leaders, if the leaders of these crews can, can continue... You know, can do the right thing for the sake of doing the right thing. It, it'll certainly help, but we've we've got a long way to go here. But we've, we've still got sure. a lot of things to. Learn. Yeah, um, we're just we're you know we're we're trying to uh, just define, you know, uh, not necessarily not only what's legal but what's also morally right to be doing, and and a lot of times uh that can only come from mentorship and positive influence over these over the inexperienced houndsmen or the new houndsmen where the the we mentor those people in in what a good job looks like and how we can effectively do that and i think that's key to securing our future um as houndsmen as a hound hound hunting community so um I'd, I'd like to shift gears a little bit here, Alex. I, I'm kind of curious what what your take is on what you're seeing on social media with um, with cancel culture and and stuff like that. Well, there's there's very little um, positive stuff as far as uh, as far as we as far as hound hunters are concerned on social media from any anybody other than a, than hound hunters. You know, when we're not. You know, everybody's saying you know, men with guns are obviously bad people, right? And that's the sort of culture that's being developed in this country, and I think probably to some degree in your country. Yes, you know, hunters are looked at as being bad guys, but if you you go to New Zealand, for instance, 
classic example. It's nothing to um, to drive through the main, you know, the main road in Auckland. They've got a great big river that runs pretty well through the centre of it, and I, at, I, you know, during the duck season, it's nothing to see guys getting changed into their cams on the side of the road, uh-huh. pulling their shot out and blasting away at ducks, and everybody gives them a little wave, and you know, they're hunters. Their, their, their culture towards hunting is so much different to ours, and the, the Kiwis, they're fantastic at, uh, at promoting positive culture in hunting uh, and fishing, and because it's, it forms, I suppose, a large part of their economy and through tourism, etc. But they're taking advantage of it. They, they've got no native uh, game species in New Zealand. All game species in New Zealand, apart from birds, mm-hmm. are introduced. So um, their, their hunting culture is is fantastic, and they uh, they the government and a lot of the bureaucracies are uh, are taking advantage of it and and promoting it. We're here here in Australia, and in particular in Victoria, the hunting culture uh, is not being promoted by many of the bureaucracies. You know, the Game Management Authority here in Victoria, um, they'll tell people everything they need to know about hunting and uh, what, what their re- responsibilities are and what all the rules are, but they don't actively um, promote hunting at all, full stop. And th- that's why this this social media stuff where the, you know, the negativity towards hunters is sort of being, I don't know if it's, it, it, it's not always obvious, it's, it, it's sometimes very subtle. But if you look at, uh, say, the RSPCA stance on that sort of thing and, the, you know, Animals Australia and uh, World Wildlife Fund and those other organisations, as far as hunting is concerned, they're extremely negative. Even though hunting, in many cases, is one of the best ways to manage endangered species and overabundant wildlife, they sure. tend to ignore that and uh, and leave it, leave it to you know, into the mess in which it's become, and especially in this country with wild horses in certain areas. You know, it was once it was actively uh, encouraged for people to, to hunt these overabundant animals that were causing problems. Now they don't do it because uh, they're, they're copying too much flack from the uh, from the so-called uh, silent... Uh, sorry, from the so-called uh, public opinion, the right. of public opinion. Yeah, it's, there's a cultural influence there that that doesn't allow them to do that. Of course, and you've and got a you've got a scenario. They, they keep they keep hearkening back to this, where they say uh, community expectations. They keep making reference to community expectations. I'm just wondering which community they're referring to and what the expectations are. Right. They don't. They don't be going to any specifics. Well, you you brought up New Zealand and you talked about a positive a positive influence and a positive outlook, a positive image for hunters. You know, all of those things are driven by uh, what's culturally acceptable. And your policymakers are bureaucrats. So how do you think New Zealand is accomplishing that? Obviously, they, they must have a pretty good ground game going on there to keep the bureaucrats on their side look i i think i think um the, their department of conservation they call it doc 
they're uh, very hands-on as far as management of introduced species is concerned. Um, and they've got a significant, significant issue with introduced species. So what, one of their best management tools, or one of their most effective management tools, is to encourage uh, people to hunt these introduced species in order to, to, to you know, mitigate the damage that these animals are causing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think as, as part of that, they've got to, they've got to be able to demonstrate uh, that, that hunting is, is, is legal and it's legitimate and it's uh, an effective and humane way of dealing with overabundant animals. And, and hunting, recreational hunting as a management tool across the board, and here I am telling you, you obviously would know better than I do, is a good way of managing uh, native species. You you, you, you right. hunt white-tailed deer over there, which I suppose is probably your most um, number one number pre- one hunted species in the United States now is a yeah, white-tailed deer. Premier, yeah, it's your premier game animal. See, here in Australia, we've got we've got overabundant eastern grey kangaroos. Contrary to popular belief, we have more kangaroos here than we can possibly we possibly need, and there's a there's a number of reasons for that large disproportionately large number of kangaroos. Most of those reasons are to do with land management practices and things like that. But uh, we, we can't lawfully hunt those kangaroos unless we get a special permit to hunt them. Mm-hmm. Would it be good if we could have the same system that we have in, that you guys have in the US to actually have an open season with controls, of course, sure. to hunt eastern grey kangaroos here. So when you talk about a special permit, is that is that like um, you have to make an application and then pay pay significant amount of money to be able to hunt something that that is common sense would tell you should be a regulated hunting season? What is that, what does that special permit look what, like? What it is, uh, kangaroos are hunt, they, they, they hold a number of different statuses. Kangaroos are hunted by professional hunters under permit for for the pet food industry and for human consumption, right? They are not hunted by recreational hunters for the same for the same reasons because it's unlawful. The only way you can you can hunt kangaroos in the, in the state of Victoria is either to do it through be a professional and to do it under their permit system. Mm-hmm. Or if you're recreational, you, you need to know a land a landholder who will allow who will get a permit to destroy a said number of kangaroos and include you on that permit as a uh, as a hunter to 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 fill out the the number of kangaroos on that permit. There's no season on kangaroos yeah. or other other overabundant wildlife, and that that reflects very badly on. Um, on the way in which this is all managed, because um, the the problems that we have with kangaroos are very similar to the problems you have with overabundant whitetail. You know, mm-hmm. we have lots of collisions on roads. We have um, animal welfare issues with animals starving during <clears throat> during droughts. Um, you know, coming into build-up areas, and, you know, confront right. confrontation issues. All, all of the usual things that happen with overabundant wildlife. Mm-hmm. Well, I just thought it was. I was just curious about that part, and maybe give us a, a a look into the future. Something that's so obvious. I mean, it seems it seems to me from hearing you talk that it doesn't take a lot of science to understand that 
we need to get rid of some kangaroos. And um, so I wanted to then use I wanted to use that. All the rock and roll stars, all the rock, American rock and roll stars and actors start having central chest pain. They get on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, telling everybody how horrible these Australians are and killing killing Skippy the kangaroo. You know. <laughs> oh man, this is. <laughs> right. Yeah, you know, the, the truth, as I said earlier, is the first victim with any of this sort of stuff. It's all it's all pumped up, emotive claptrap that uh, that gets in the way of the truth here. Right. Well, let's try to let's try to put. It sounds like we've been kind of doom and gloom on a lot of this, and I don't think we need to be. <laughs> um, I I'm think, a very positive person, believe it or not. I I try to be too. Um, what I, what I what I'm trying to I'm trying to build this community and give some people some hope. I think I think give some people some takeaways so that we don't have to walk away from this and let the recent incidents on the national stage, international stage we can't let that divert us from from our work here. You know, I, I went a week and I wasn't even going to... This past week's been horrible for me. I've, I've been watching it and I wasn't even going to produce a podcast this week based on that. But I, I kind of thought, you know, we need to start now. We need to... We at least need to be aware of what's going on. And uh, I, I wanted to talk to you in Australia so because from listening to you in the past and, and following, you guys have already experienced a lot of this stuff. There's a lot of good takeaways there. And, um, that's, that's why I wanted to have you on Alex. I, I really appreciate what you're doing over there at, uh, with Houndsman United, your social media platforms and different stuff like that. You got a lot of insight for us. So I really appreciate it. And, uh, the, the takeaways, what would you say if if you were if you were in the United States and you saw what was coming, or you felt like you knew what was coming? What are three things you could tell houndsmen that they need to start doing right now? Well, before I give you those three things, I'll say that you know as much doom and gloom as I suppose we've we've espoused over the last short period of time, things are still pretty good over here. We've got fantastic long hunting seasons. We, we spend seven months a year um, hunting with our hounds in the mountains, free casting our hounds in the mountains on public land in Australia. That's great. As hunters do all over the place. And uh, we, have a, we have an absolute ball. It's, uh, it's, it's a classic manifestation of, of freedom at its finest. And uh, we'd really like to keep it. But uh, so far, so good. We're, we're, we're enjoying ourselves and having a good time, but we need to do a little bit in order to ensure that we're going to have a future. And, uh, and I'm sure that you guys in the US that are, that are hunting your coons and your bobcats and your, your bears and your mountain lions. Um, All the good you, stuff. You can free cast your hounds and hunt them, which I think is fantastic. And uh, we, we, we wait with bated breath for every episode of Houndsman XP and and all of the other podcasts, and I've been lucky enough to to hunt uh, with hounds in various places in the U.S. And it's still good times, you know. It's 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 really good stuff, and hopefully it'll continue. 
But in order to make it continue, you need to join a hunting organisation, thing one. Join okay. a hunting organisation, become active, and do whatever it is that you can do. Uh, you know, if you can donate money, if you can put in a bit of time, even turning burgers at a at, a, at the local cook-ups, any, do anything in order to, to become positively involved in your in your hunting organisation. Um, and encourage other hunters to join the hunting organisations as well, because that that's the beginning of at least being able to demonstrate to those that are against us that we're becoming organised and we're starting to get our act together. Yes. Uh, secondly, I think a lot of the hunting organisations probably need to put their differences aside and start to uh, pull together, pull in the same direction. You guys have got some extremely powerful hunting organisations over there, you know, from the NRA down, that, um, that have got a hell of a lot of pull. They're not always singing off the same hymn book. It would be good if they could... Um, could start identifying opportunities to, uh, to to find where they have common ground and to make use of that to uh, to ensure a future. And and I suppose th- thing thing three is to you know, be be positive or try to get people to lobby uh, for hunting as being a, a legitimate legal healthy pastime and a healthy way of life mm-hmm. uh, we seem to be we seem to be always coming up against brick walls on that where some somehow the fishermen always seem to get the accolades oh yeah go fishing it's really good <laughs> but if you're a hunter you're a bad guy you know right. that, that, that culture needs to change and uh, we need to demonstrate that us hunters we we can be you know, doctors or lawyers or uh, or concreters or builders or dentists or mechanics. We come from all different ways, all different walks of life, and that we uh, we're normal human beings. We need to humanise ourselves, and we need to show people that we're positive and decent family people, the same as everybody else is. And I think that's probably the best way to promote hunting. Uh, and with the hounds, people need to see our hounds, and people need to to come up and pat a hound and and see that it's not a savage, bloodthirsty psychopath that wants to kill everything. You know, they need to find out that hounds are just good old dogs that uh, happen to be good at uh, certain things, but for most of the time they, they're just a dog that hangs around the backyard or in a pen or in a house as a pet. Yep. Um, we need to be able to demonstrate that to, to those that, that, are, that are prepared to listen. And, and, and having said that, I know I'm probably babbling on here a bit, but... Uh, Not a bit. We're never, we're never going to get the antis on side. No nope. matter... As long as our bums point to the ground, we won't get the antis on side. But we have got the vast majority of people who are sitting on the fence. They're the people that we want to get, um, you know, getting in our camp and, and backing us up. And they're the people that we need to get over the line. The Andes will never come on, but these others, and they're the ones that count, are the ones that we need to try to influence. Yes, positively influence those people. They're, they're, they are, they're, are the, they are the key to the future of hunting. You know, we just don't need to alienate them. We need to be inclusive. Exactly. We need to... Well, you get an opportunity to do the right thing and help somebody out and to positively 
promote hound hunting or hunting in general, take it and do it. Do, do the right thing for the sake of doing the right thing. Right, right. Yeah, we when the COVID thing kicked off, we, we started talking about, you know, the, the recent increase in people who were looking for ways to to get back to outdoor hunting and and we've talked about it on the podcast a lot about the increases in hunting license sales fishing sales uh fishing license sales and and just uh there was an upsurge in in that effort and we've got a golden opportunity right now we've got people that are looking for ways to be more involved in our hunting communities and we should embrace them and and if nothing else just show them the right way to do it so that they're not shooting holes in this boat for us down the road um and and that's that's one of the big problems we have people shooting holes in the boat and uh unfortunately uh we're running out of fingers to (laughs) yeah that's right that's right well alex we've been uh we've been this has been a great conversation. I, I appreciate your time. I know you came in from fishing today. Did you catch any fish? Uh, sadly, no. No. It, the, the, the temperature here today is 37 degrees Celsius, which makes it around, brings you close to the 100 degree Fahrenheit mark. And uh, had a pretty stiff northerly blowing. Well, that's my excuse anyway. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't do any good on the fish. Yeah. We'll, we'll, We'll go back another day. Right. Alex, I appreciate your time, and uh, I appreciate what you guys are doing over there in Australia. I really do. It's intriguing, and I think you've got a lot of good insight for us. So, Well, you, you guys keep up the good work uh, with that podcast. Don't, uh, you, we look forward to Mondays here but when the podcast comes out, so make sure you uh, keep it rolling. We will. Uh, we're going to be delayed one day this week, so uh, this will be a Tuesday release. Excellent. I'll look, I'll look forward to listening to it. All right. Well, Alex, until I talk to you again, you follow your hounds and I'll follow mine. Normally, that's the final word on this podcast. You follow your hounds, I'll follow mine. But in this case, I feel like we need to wrap this up and put some exclamation points on this. One thing you can do right now right now today is contact your representatives and senators and tell them that you will not stand for censorship you will not stand for cancel culture and totalitarianism i implore you to do that today take an active stance on this and i'm telling you that what we're seeing on the big scale is only going to embolden the people that want to take away our freedom PETA and the animal rights crowd are licking their chops right now. If we can take the very fabric and the foundations of our freedom away, things like freedom of speech, uh, the Second Amendment, our freedom of religion, the list goes on of things that are under attack right now. If they can take those away so easily, our freedoms and our rights on the home front will be more threatened. It will trickle down to anything that they want. This is a power grab, and you can take a stand today by contacting your senators and your representatives in Washington, and you can find their contacts simply on the Senator and House of Representatives website. 
Don't delay. Our freedom depends on it.